Uh, it is such a privilege to lay hold of heaven uh, and, and, and know that his ear is open to our prayers. He is listening. He has invited us, said, draw near to me through a new and living way, through the veil that was torn, through the body of Jesus dying on the cross. We have access to spiritual, supernatural power. And that's what happens when we pray. Uh, I, I, I know I didn't become a Christian because I figured it out. People prayed for me. And, and you didn't become a Christian because of any other reason except people prayed for you. And this is how evangelism is, is empowered, is when we pray. So I want to hear when all these people get saved this week. Uh, and make sure we can rejoice next week. Amen? Amen. God is going to do great, great things. Uh, so let's not give up praying. Uh, let's keep, keep praying for those things. Thank you, everyone who was bold to, to speak those things out. So let's, uh, let's get into the Word now. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35 is what we're going to go through today. And today's uh, sermon is called The Unforgivable Sin. Uh, ooh, scary. <laughs> the Unforgivable Sin. So one last prayer, just uh, to ask God's blessing on, on his word right now. Father, we, we pray that you would, you would speak to us uh, because we can't understand this with carnal ears and, and a heart that's hard. So we need you to give us a soft heart. We need you to give us a, uh, a new uh, heart. And, and I pray that whatever we have that is misconceptions or, or um, preconceived conceptions, ideas, of, of what this means, I pray that you would set us free and that we would just simply trust what your word says. Amen. All right, so as we've been going through the book of Mark, we have seen that Jesus is a one-man wrecking crew. He is tearing things up. He is traveling around the northern part of Israel, and uh, he's healing every disease that he, that, I mean, just everything no matter what it is. He is casting out every demon. And now, what we studied last week is he has called 12 um, guys, disciples, and he's asked them to just uh, follow and be with him. Just be with him. So all the time, just don't leave his, his side so that he can reproduce his character and his heart in them. And so last week, we learned that that was the primary call of every disciple. And you have been called to be a disciple, right? But we learned last week, the disciple is not someone who does things for Jesus, does things for God. A disciple is someone who spends time with Jesus, someone who is, has a close and intimate relationship with Jesus. So that's, that's the, what Jesus has been up to. And seem, things seem to be really rocking in Jesus' ministry. Like he is, he is uh, claiming to be the savior of the world. He's like, I am the Messiah, right? He's, he's bringing the, the, um, the, what's called the, the gospel, the good news. He's preaching it to people saying, I am doing what everything Isaiah 61 said, the Messiah, I'm doing it all. And he's proving it with power. Like he's, he's like blowing up Satan's like strongholds. It's crazy. He's fulfilling every single prophecy of the Messiah that was given in the scriptures that people understood, you know? He is surely the Messiah. No one could ever really doubt this, right? Well, anytime things seem to be going really well, the opposition, the enemy, 
has is preparing a counterattack, okay? And, and the enemy sees that he cannot stop Jesus and all that Jesus is doing with the people. So he turns to the people and he starts planting seeds of doubt. Seeds of doubt. What, are, what, is, what is that? Let me, let me tell you what seeds of doubt. Jesus is not all that. In their ears, he whispers, Jesus is not all that. Jesus is just a man. Jesus is a threat to your life. Jesus is a threat to your power and your influence. Jesus is not who he says he is. He's not everything. He's not even a good thing. Let's oppose him. Let's fight against him. What say ye? Yes, that was a quote from the office. Okay. Um, once you believe that uh, Jesus is who he says he is, Satan has lost you forever. Do you know that? It's, Satan is just, his power is broken. Once you place your hope and your confidence in who Jesus is, Satan's power over you is broken forever. So, of course, Satan's plan, you know, he, he wants to do everything he can possibly do to keep you from hearing who Jesus is and believing who Jesus is. That's Satan's whole plan. Believing Jesus is who he is, is called faith. That's what faith is. Believing Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. All right. But let's look at what that means, because we're, we're told in, in James that demons believe in God, right? So is that what we're supposed to do? The same as, obviously, it's different, because they don't have faith. They believe, but they don't have faith. So there has to be something very different between just believing in Jesus and having faith in Jesus. So I know a lot of people on the streets right now will say, I believe in Jesus, Right? but they don't, they're not using it the same way that we're using it. When we say all men must believe in Jesus or perish, we are saying you have to believe and have faith. Faith is what is needed. So for it to be faith, you have to believe and agree with Jesus. And those are two different things. Believe and and agree with Jesus. Or you could say, believe and surrender to Jesus. I like that one. You, you can't believe and keep living the way you were. It's, it's like, picture this, a homeless man. You ever seen a homeless man? We live in Denver, obviously. You've seen homeless men. Imagine a homeless man wins the lotto. And someone comes up to him and says, you have won the lotto. If he doesn't believe this good news that he's won the lotto, he's going to keep living as a homeless man. But if, if he believes and agrees, he will go to pick up the money that belongs to him and he will live a completely new life, right? A homeless man who walks around telling people he is rich but still lives on the street and smells unclean is a weirdo. Right? He really doesn't believe 
he might he might think he believes, but he doesn't really believe because he's not he he doesn't allow it to change his life. He doesn't go and pick up the money. He doesn't let that belief turn into faith. He doesn't believe enough to depend on it. And that's the difference between believing in Jesus and having faith in Jesus is when we can depend on what he said. For someone to be saved, it means that they have, when they look at the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross, they know their sins are nailed to that cross in Jesus' body. And they depend on that. So if you ask a believer, a Christian, any Christian, what are you going to say when God... You arrive in heaven and God says, why should I let you into my beautiful, perfect heaven? A true believer will always say, well, I, I depend that, on, that my sin was paid for on the cross. That Jesus paid for my sin. And so that's why I am allowed to enter your heaven because of what Jesus did for me. I depend on it. Now, you might talk to some people who think they're Christians, but they say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God about all the things I did for him. All the things I depend on that I did. And is that going to work for them? What is God going to say in that situation? Depart from me because I never knew you. No one's good works are good enough for heaven. I mean, this is one of the most clear things taught in the Bible. We, our good works do not measure up to God's standard. Well, then he should lower his standard. I'm sorry, you're not God. He gets to pick the standard. Well, I just don't think that's fair. Sorry, you're a sinner. Only one person's works ever measured up to the standard, and that's who? Amen. Amen. Why do I even teach you guys? You know it all. <laughs> We depend on Jesus. That's what a Christian is. We learn what he's promised us, and we depend on it. It's like your coat hook, okay? When you take off your coat and you hang it on the hook, you are depending on that hook to hold up the weight of your coat. And the act of placing your coat on that hook is called faith. And that's what we do in our hearts with Jesus. When it comes to our sin, I am free. Why? How can you say that? Because I've placed my sin on Jesus like this hook and I let go. Back away slowly, right? So faith means to believe and depend on Jesus. We're born again by faith. Okay, like our sins are forgiven. But what's also really cool in the Bible is that we grow by faith. It's not just being born again or starting our relationship by faith, but it's all the growing that's also by faith. So that's our introduction. So let's get into our text now and see what we're going to see about uh, these guys and, uh, and a whole bunch of different characters here and how they respond to Jesus. So Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. So he, the, this is, Jesus and his disciples couldn't hardly eat because there's so many people. 
But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. So, the first opposition that Jesus faces today is called his own people. And this may be his family. It probably is because of something we read in just a few verses. Uh, this may be his friends. This may be people who just cared about him. It's people who knew him, okay? And, and what's their issue with Jesus right now? He's too selfless. <laughs> That's their problem with him. He, it doesn't make sense. No one has ever been this selfless. He doesn't even care about his own needs. Well, Jesus came to serve and not to be served, right? You remember that verse? I came to serve and not to be served. That is blowing his friend's mind. Because, okay, you're saying you're the Messiah. You're saying you're God, Jesus. Why are you serving us? Why are you being so nice? Why do you love us? Okay, that's what's really going on here. His people had a preconceived notion of who God was, and God was going to be the one who would show up and be the king and, and be the warrior and, and, and take care of business, and we would all have to do what he says because that's who God is. But Jesus is not acting like that at all. He's acting like a meek and mild servant. He, he is wrecking stuff, but it's, it's all this supernatural stuff and sin and diseases, and, and he, the, they don't understand that stuff. It's his character that they have a problem with. Why are you so being so nice to us? Don't you know who we are? We are Israel. We have failed you so much. We deserve your meanness. We deserve uh, for you to be angry. We, we need a spanking. I think your son is illustrating <laughs> Jesus came to serve and not be served that's the character that he's revealing and it is it's not how God would act in their opinion but like we've studied before Jesus actually does know God he actually is God and man they're they're, they're thinking he demands that we serve him have you ever gone to church and got the distinct feeling that you should be doing more for God. Mm -hmm. That's not the gospel. That's not. God doesn't need you. He could do it all himself. Now he invites you, and there's a great part of our life where we get to dive into his life and we get to serve him. But that's not the gospel. And our service, our ministry, is supposed to flood out of a heart that's transformed by the gospel and the gospel is all about what Jesus did for you, not what you do for him. What you do for him, that is old covenant law stuff. What he does for you, that is the gospel. That's the good news that transforms heart, that gets people to serve him. Okay? His love. That's the motivation. And this is just blowing his family. His family wants to force Jesus to stop ministry because they don't really know who he is. They don't know his character. Or maybe they've decided not to believe what he says about himself. We know that at this point, his mom and his brothers do not believe in him. That's crazy. I thought Mary was sinless and, and ascended to heaven because of her perfection. No, she's a dirty, rotten sinner, just like everybody else. But, 
They will come to believe, but his brothers won't even believe until after he rises from the dead. Mary seems to believe a bit earlier than that, but still, at this point, it seems like his own family does not believe who he is. Let's look at the next group of people that oppose him at this point. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. Uh, This is the second opposition Jesus faces today uh, from religious leaders. And they say he has Beelzebub, and that's a uh, Jewish way of saying he is possessed with Satan. Satan uh, had another name in their culture uh, called Beelzebub, and it sounds like Lord of the Flies. That's what the the term means, Lord of the Flies. Um, And so what they're saying here is that, okay, Jesus has a spiritual power. These scribes come from Jerusalem. They're like, okay, we get this. He, we can't deny he has a spiritual power. But you know what? It must be evil because it, it, it's got to be from Satan himself. That's how he can boss around demons. That's how he can do all the stuff, all the miracles he's doing. What they're saying is, Jesus, you are not who you say you are. You are not who you say you are. We don't want to believe in you. We don't want to hang our coat on you. We do not believe you are who you say you are. We think we could do this better than you. You know what? We've been doing fine for 3,000 years. Why did you even come? We don't need you. This is what's behind what they're saying. We, we, like, we don't like the way you're doing things. Could you not be the God that we wanted, which is a big, powerful God that was going to kick Rome out of here? We don't care about the demons. We want Rome out of here. We can coexist with demons. We don't like Romans. We don't like those people. That's what's going on here. Okay? So, listen to what he says. So, he called... Uh, them to himself and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, it is divided and is divided. He cannot stand, but has come, uh, but, a, but has an end, excuse me. Now, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So Jesus says very simply, it's, Satan doesn't fight against Satan, or else there would be anarchy in his, and there's order there. And then he says this parable, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. So who's the strong man in that parable? The strong man is Satan, and the one entering his house like a thief, Jesus says, is me. It's Jesus. I am going into Satan's house, I'm binding him up, and I'm stealing all his stuff. And you're like, that's weird. Jesus likening himself to a thief, <laughs> a robber? It's crazy. It, J- Jesus says here, I am not working for Satan. That wouldn't even make sense. Why would I be kicking his butt all over under his command? Like, that doesn't make sense. It's because I am stronger than Satan. I can bind him and make his power nothing. 
I'm not on Satan's side. He's my enemy and he's your enemy. So why don't you sit there and watch me take him out? Right? I am plundering his house. I'm on the attack. He can't stand against me. So many people think that Satan is attacking them. Right? And I really think that's the wrong way to think about it. Satan does have strongholds, but he is scared to death of you. And not just you, but you filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He cannot stand against that. So Satan is not attacking Christians left and right, right? He, he, he is, and Paul says we need to be weary, of, you know, we under, need to understand how he does attack us. But in the end, it's really, he's just like, like, uh, let me just make them think that I'm strong because really he can't stand against what Jesus has already done and is doing to him. He, he has no power. Satan will never volunteer to leave his possession. Okay, so if Satan's living, he's never going to say, oh, you're right, let me just go. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Um, you did some nice stuff the other day, so I'll just let you off the hook. But Jesus can take whatever was once a worker for Satan, and Jesus can convert them into his service. That's what Jesus is doing. And, and that's just blowing people's minds here. They're like, wow, that's amazing. Let's, let's read again. Jesus takes this in a totally different direction than I would have done, but he's smarter than me. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. I'm going to stop right there. That is a very interesting statement, isn't it? All sins will be forgiven the sons of men. Okay? He's going to make one exception here, which we'll find out about. But when people say, could God really forgive this? Would God really forgive Hitler? Would God forgive me? Would God forgive my enemy? The answer is yes. And, and I hear an argument out there in the world today about that. And they say, you know what? That makes God just, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Because if God's willing to forgive them, that's making light of what they did. And they deserve punishment. What they did was wrong. And God should, should, should punish them for it. They can't just get, get a free get-out-of-jail card. I don't like this. I don't like this free grace stuff. But here's what we have to respond. We have to respond in this way. I'm sorry you don't like that. But what you really don't understand is the price that Jesus paid to forgive them. It's not like he let it go free and said, boys will be boys. Go ahead and murder and all the other stuff that you're doing. He didn't say, he's not saying, I'm just going to just say they're forgiven with no punishment or no penalty. No. What Jesus did is he paid the price of his own life, his own blood. He allowed God to spiritually pound him, beat him, until all God's wrath and fury was poured out and emptied on him. 
on the cross. That's what we call propitiation. That's what the word propitiation means. Everything. So you know how angry you feel when you see an injustice in the world? Nah, I could just smack them. Right? That, that anger, multiply it by a billion, quadrillion, make up a number, and that's what God feels about every sin. He hates sin. He has a divine, perfect hatred for sin, so he hates it perfectly. And so when he poured out that hatred of sin, that wrath on Jesus, that's the cost that was paid to offer forgiveness for us. Thank you, Lord. Right. So he says, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. When Jesus says that, that is the hardest sentence to come out of his mouth. That is a miracle that he is saying that statement. Because when he's saying that, he, say, he knows what price he's going to pay. The price of our eternal torment is squished into three hours on the cross and poured into him. The same thing we would feel in an eternity of separation from God and God's wrath. God squishes into three hours and pours it on him on the cross. So when Jesus says, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven men, he means it with more passion and more truth and more sincerity and more seriousness than like anything you've ever heard. Let's put that in your pipe and smoke it. So he says, all your sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter, but he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. So what, what's going on here is the scribes were on their way to committing this unforgivable sin. They were rejecting the Holy, what the Holy Spirit was saying about Jesus. They, they would not listen. And Jesus is warning them that when they reject him, they are condemning themselves to hell. And, and uh, they didn't do this yet or he wouldn't be warning them. There's no point in warning someone who's already done something. So this unforgivable sin is a lifetime thing. Okay? And, and, uh, but this is the path that they were on. They were always making excuses of why not to believe in Jesus. Oh, those Christians bother me, so I'm not going to believe in Jesus. You ever hear that one? Yeah, I hear it all the time. Uh, they were always making excuses of why to not follow Jesus. That's a bad path. They were, they were making excuses of why they would not submit and surrender to him as Lord. They had all these reasons, these justifiable reasons. I'm not going to do it because of this. I'm not going to do it because of that. And Jesus is like, I don't care. I don't care. If you don't accept me, you will have to answer for your sins. And the answer for your sins will be, I'm guilty. And their only place for a guilty person is hell. That's just the way that it goes. So this is very serious, you know? And, and Jesus is like, listen, if Satan can't stand against me, if I'm walking around kicking Satan all over the place, how do you think it's going to go for you? 
when you stand against me. Right now, you're the object of my affection. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on your side. You're alive. You have a chance to repent. But on the day you die, those chances are over. And it's either you're with me or you're against me. And I'm God. Please make the right choice, Jesus is saying. Right? I'm going to do everything for you. I love you. You have the best reasons in the world to turn to me. I actually care about you. And I'm going to do everything you need. So choose me. Choose to follow me. So let's... Uh, um, when people think of the, un, the uh, unforgivable sin, they need to remember this. It's, it's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? But that can be kind of confusing. So I'm going to make it clear. What does the Holy Spirit say? And if you're blaspheming, you're saying, I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it. So the Holy Spirit, in John 15, 26, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit spends all day speaking into your heart who Jesus is, what Jesus thinks about you, and how Jesus would lead you and guide you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he empowers you with the very life of Jesus. So to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it means you persistently reject what the Holy Spirit is saying, which is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you need him. And he's available to you. So accept him. And if a person goes through their whole life rejecting that and saying, I do not want what, what Jesus is offering. I do not want it. I will not follow him. I will not accept his free gift. That is what's called the blasphemy. It's rejecting God, rejecting God's offer. That is a heart that doesn't care about God's forgiveness and it will not receive God's forgiveness because it will never ask for God's forgiveness. The only way you can ask for God's forgiveness is believing that Jesus would forgive you. Believing that he is who he is. These words are never intended to torment an anxious soul that's stressed. You don't need to worry about this unforgivable sin. Because if you're here today and you care, you haven't, you're not on that path. This path is characterized by people who say, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. No one's the boss of me. And I do, certainly don't care about Jesus. I don't care what he did. And maybe I even think he probably did do what he did, but I don't want it. That person in their heart is saying, Holy Spirit, shut up. I don't want to hear what Jesus has done for me. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, but that person has committed an unforgivable sin. Now let's read. Then his brothers and his mother came standing outside and they sent to him, calling him. And, the, and a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered and said to them, who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around in a circle to those who sat about him and said, here is my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. So I want you to notice the contrast between religious people in danger of going to hell and a free invitation to join the family of Jesus. Not offered to the religious people, but to just people that would draw near to Jesus, that believed in Jesus. 
We've already established in this, in this chapter what the will of God is. And that's to accept the identity of Jesus, to not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's the will of God. To believe in him, to trust him, to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal who Jesus is to our hearts and minds and then to hang our, our coat on that. I, I'm going to depend on that. Jesus teaches that when we let ourselves believe in him, we are included into his family. And family is the most intimate, close relationship that you can have. So it's describing a close relationship. Like Ephesians 2.14, those who were once afar off, he has brought near by the blood of Christ. He's saying, if you, if you can believe, then I will do all the work of making you my family. That's what he says. So, the question then is, what is the will of God? How, is it about me keeping all the rules? Is that what the, to be a good person? Is that the will of God for my life? Does, to do good works, is that all the will of God for my life? Does this mean that God is looking for perfect people to be part of his family? Well, yes and no. Not in that sense. Yes, there is a standard, and the standard is perfection, which is keeping all the Ten Commandments all the time with all your heart from the moment you're born to the moment you die. That is the standard. God is looking for those people. Is he going to find any of those people? No. Absolutely not. He, we can't do that. We are sinners. So what is Jesus referring to here? Never in a million years would God expect us to be able to do that. He knows our sin. He knows we cannot live a perfect life. There's a psalm, and it's my favorite when I think about this. He said he's constantly reminding himself that we are but dust. That's right. That's right. He knows that we're sinners. He knows that we don't have an ability to do this. So he provides a different way. And it's called the gospel. Where Jesus lives the perfect life for us that we were supposed to live. And then we receive this perfect life as a free gift called grace. And God gives, the, gives this free gift to anyone who would humble themselves and put their confidence in the life of Jesus and not in their own performance. That's what the gospel is. In John 6, 28, uh, it says, They said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Or what does God really want from us, Jesus? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Now, does he mean believe just like the demons believe? Or does he mean believe and trust or faith? That's what he means, right? There's that word again believe, which means faith. Believe plus depend. Jesus demands that we stop trying to live life up to this perfect holy standard, instead replacing our confidence in self with confidence in him. This is God's will, God's way. This is what he's given us. Not more efforts, but simple faith. So let's look at one practical application for our life. Uh, if Satan has a grip on, on someone you love, like a stronghold, right? Or, or maybe even in your own life, there's something that you've been 
just in bondage, you feel like you can't get away from Satan's grasp. There's no program or strategy or seminar. There's no war you can fight to be set free. You need the strong man to come and bind the strong man. You need the stronger man to come and bind the strong man that's, that's bothering you. You need Jesus. It's simple faith and confidence in Jesus that can set us free. We are never to place our hope and confidence in a program, uh, a group, like accountability. Like Those things can be good. Those things can be used by God. But if our confidence is in those things, we will fall back again. But if we place our confidence in Jesus alone and not in something else, confessing our need for God and our inability, he will deliver us because he already has. If we confess our need and confess our inability, then confess that we be- what we believe about Jesus, that he will deliver us, that he is strong and that he is loving, that he is the Messiah, the Savior, then all you have to do is wait for him. All you have to do is wait for him. And he's not going to make you wait long, just long enough to prove that you really do depend on him. So some people say, I'm waiting on Jesus, and then the next day they go back to doing the thing. You know, there's a, um, I was reading a book, and there's a guy addicted to crack, right? And he becomes a Christian, and he says, I know that this, you know, he's talking with his pastor, and he's like, I know this, this drug is, is an idol in my life. And he says, well, do you want Jesus to set you free of that? Yes, I do want Jesus. Well, then just tell Jesus you're going to give him this idol. Just give it to him. Okay? And he's like, all right, I'm going to do it. Jesus, I give you this idol. I do not want it anymore in my life. You know you can't do this yourself, right? Yes, I know I can't do it myself. Okay? Then just give it to Jesus. The guy's like, okay, now what do I do? And the pastor said, go home. Do whatever you want. Well, what if I want to smoke crack? I guess just do it. But wake up and remind Jesus that you gave it to him. And this guy went home and he did smoke crack that night. He woke up, reminded Jesus, hey, I gave you this. That day, next day came, and he did not smoke crack that next night. Woke up the next morning, and he gave thanks to Jesus that he was set free. And he never smoked crack again. When I, if I tell you I have, a, I have a cherry Ferrari in my garage, and I say, Dave, I've given this car to you, I call him on the phone. I say, Dave, come, come, I'm giving this to you. I do not want it anymore. It's taking up room in my garage. I hate it. Well, you're a bad friend. Give me a good friend. Who's a good friend that would take this Ferrari off my hands? Okay, here we go. These are my real friends. Okay, I do not want this Ferrari. It is killing me. I'm addicted to it. I hate it. It's not good for me. Will you come and take this? I give it to you. Yeah, he would do it, see. I know. If it was a forerunner, I know, but but okay. So, but I'm not in charge 
of when Isaac is going to come pick up the Ferrari. Who does it belong to? The moment I say it's yours, who does it belong to? Isaac. So all I have to do is wait for Isaac, who has his own schedule in his own life, and he will come pick it up in his own good time. Does Isaac care for me? Yeah, he loves me. And he's going to do what's best for me. When we have an idol, we can give it to the Lord. And we can trust that he will take it. Okay? There is no need for you to, 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 to do it yourself. To say, I need to get myself clean. I need to get myself free. I need to do all this work. Stop. Just tell Jesus, I don't want this in my life anymore. Please take it. And he will show up when you least expect it and set you free. And in the meantime, while you're waiting, he's full of forgiveness. Don't get bogged down if you mess up in the time that you're waiting. Just ask, say, Lord, I really want you to take this. And I messed up again and I I dove into it again and I did it again. Forgive me, Lord, but please take this from me. He will answer that prayer. He is the strong man. But he will wait until you're out of options. Until you stop thinking in your head, maybe I could put it on Craigslist. Okay, Jesus has given me a great example. I put our pool, we have this pool table someone gave us. I put it for free on Craigslist. And like Monday, no, yeah, Monday, I, I took it out, put it on our driveway, and I've gotten like 500 emails of people said they were willing to come take my, my pool table. And you know how many of them have showed up? Zero, right? And it's always like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to you know, put it back inside? Are we going to do this? Or do this? Jesus doesn't work like that. He'll wait until we're like, it's there. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to keep trusting that you're going to come. He knows what that's, what's going on in our hearts, and he, he wants us to fully trust in him. You're, you're going to be set free, so put your hope and trust in him. All right, guys? There's our time in the Word. We're going to, we're going to worship the Lord here. Uh, so let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for your great, great, great faithfulness. And I pray that for anyone in here who's been struggling with sins for a long time, they've been struggling with idols, God, I pray that they would feel the urgency to just give it to you. I pray that we would be free from thinking that we have to self-source our salvation, that we have to do this ourselves, that we have to set ourselves free. God, you, Jesus, you are the strong man that, that, that binds up the enemy in our lives. And we can only trust in your power. We can only put our hope in you. And we will wait upon you, Jesus. We will wait. And God, I I pray that as you're testing our faith this week, God, that you would help us to stay faithful, keeping our eyes only on you, keeping our hearts committed 
to trusting in you and never slipping up and slipping back into self-sourced religion where we think we can earn your favor. Jesus, keep our eyes on you alone. Thank you for uh, your your word that's just brought us peace and, and joy today. And God, I pray that as we sing these songs, our hearts would be overflowing with thanksgiving to you. In your name we pray, amen.